Welcome to episode one of this podcast. Here, I list and provide insight of quotes of selling books ranging into philosophy from leadership to entrepreneurship. This is very much a test pilot on my part, an experiment if you will, but if you like it, please let me know and share with some of your friends. You're listening to The Leon Shi Show. Welcome back. Honestly, to commence this podcast, I thought I would choose a more glamorous title, but today we're going to analyze the three rules written by some Deloitte professionals. It's honestly one of the drier books to read. It's not that necess- it's necessarily crammed with dense information, although that doesn't make it any less valuable. It's that the book was written to cater to full-fledged professionals. See, the three rules was written by Deloitte consultants. Its primary audience are other Deloitte professionals. But with that said, here are the three rules. One, better before cheaper. Two, revenue before cost. And three, there are no other rules. Interestingly, I found the introduction and conclusion to be more profound as the middle chapters were laboriously long examples of the execution of, or lack thereof, uh, of such principles. The three effects. Post hoc is a logical fallacy that states, since event Y followed event X, event Y must have been caused by event X. In other words, causation does not imply correlation. The authors posit that modern corporations are assuming many wrong principles are contributing to their success. They maintain that other studies try to chronicle success have missed crucial factors as well. The halo effect on the other hand, refers to the phenomenon that our attitudes on being bold or narrow-minded is contingent upon how the economy is faring. If the economy is doing well, we are bold in action. If not, we remain narrow-minded. This causes a ripple effect that further propagates the economy in any direction. Lastly, the target after shooting effect refers to the false sense of success experienced as a result of deliberately aligning goals to actions. It requires a shift of targets and the convincing that this shift was really what was being striven for after all. So those were the three main concepts that I found in the introduction to be especially powerful. The authors move on, though, to talk about the first part, better before cheaper. During the recession, Abercrombie and Fitch refused to lower costs to accommodate supply. See, they needed to maintain their brand that Abercrombie was a high quality, that the price justifies just that. By remaining true to their brand, arguably their why, as Simon Sinek, author of Start With Why, would say, Abercrombie endured through the recession while others closed down or lost their brand identity. Beyond just the clothing line industry, though, the authors also applied their theory of better before cheaper to appliances. Their example was Maytag. A miracle grower focused on marketing while Whirlpool was a long runner competing on price. Yet later, when Maytag started competing on price with Whirlpool as the lower mid-sector emerged, Maytag experienced a degradation of identity and was later acquired by Whirlpool in 2006. Abercrombie won because they followed the better before cheaper principle. Maytag didn't and lost. By extension, then, major corporations today, like Walmart and Apple, should be anomalies. Yet, 
It was already part of their brand identity to provide cheap products and services to the masses. Notice how they were already cheap. They didn't go cheaper from mid-range pricing. Moreover, the promotions and competitive pricing that ensue are too insignificant to be factored into the author's definition of cheaper. The direct comparison, then, between better and cheaper maintains that one often requires the sacrifice of the other. And those who don't prize their product or services value and identity always lose. Second, revenue before cost. Although many startups focus on minimizing costs, it might be useful to take a backwards approach and consider revenue first. If your product or service is valuable and it's justifiable to charge a premium, it might also be warranted to pay more in costs. Such is the case with the trucking industry. Certain companies focus on specific demographics, one of which they know can afford to increase value and a higher premium. In fact, those that focus on revenue before cost understand the negative correlation principle. It's impossible to have 100% market share because of the disparity of products and services available. For example, if we consider commercial vehicles, some may prefer a powerful, roaring SUV. Others may prefer a quiet, more fuel-efficient hybrid car. In any business, there are going to be competitors. The competitors will eat up some market share simply due to what portion of the market they cater to. For example, Motel 6 and Four Seasons, they're both in the hospitality business. Thus, they will have somewhat similar propositions. However, the differentiating factor is how similar. That begs another question as to, even if two product or service providers are very similar and catered to the same submarket, to what extent over revenue, profit margins, timeline, etc., will yield a significant difference in success? Is it the difference between the discernible percentage value, or is this an arbitrary philosophical thought? Third, there are no other rules. The authors argue to not follow intuition because of innate human fallacies to discern patterns incorrectly or when there is none. When considering the pros and cons of intuition versus rules, we must consider the false positives and negatives. A false positive, as the authors explain, involves trying something you should not have, which ultimately might result in a minor setback, but in the end should yield no significant harm. A false negative, on the other hand, refers to foregoing something you would have liked. Interestingly, there's no harm here either, for you can't not miss anything you cannot have known. On a side note, it's paradoxical, though, in that the authors argue for following rules, yet rebut the rules others haven't stated. Nonetheless, I do appreciate their efforts in covering all bases, as they have conceded at this point in the conclusion. The Conclusion if you do what your competitor is doing, you will not improve your own performance since what is applicable to them may not be so for you. To self-reflect, the authors maintain that other organizational theorists have posited three criteria in evaluating theories, simplicity, accuracy, and generality. Yet there are trade-offs if you want to apply each. First, to seek simplicity involves isolating only a few variables that may lead to inaccuracy in the grand scope of things. Two, to seek accuracy involves introducing more variables, com 
compromising simplicity. And three, to seek generality may warrant simplicity, but it is definitely impossible to encapsulate everything that precedes accuracy. Thus, we run into this run just to stand still effect. How do we do better than our competition? If the advice is right, it will be universally adopted. Yet, if the advice is universally adopted, then it will not improve our overall performance, rendering the advice as wrong. Competitors will improve, leaving us with no significant advantage after all. No matter how high we soar, gravity will always drag us down. Takeoff is optional. Landing is mandatory. The difference is that when we're in the air, how much higher and how much farther can we fly than our competitors before coming down? By adopting the three rules, perhaps we can defy gravity for that much longer before they're universally adopted and rendered futile as And that was the three rules by Deloitte consultants, uh, one of which uh, is the director, the other of which was a full-on professional. Hope you enjoyed that first podcast. Stay tuned for more. This is the Leon Shi Show. Thanks for listening.